0: Jeff Franke, Editorial Director of Manufacturing.net and Manufacturing Business Technology. Welcome to Security Breach. There were a lot of trends emanating from the mid-1980s that thankfully died out over time, but one of them has not only persisted, but thrived. Although there were numerous samples of malware impacting early computer networks, the one that captured both headlines and the admiration of cyber criminals was the PC-right Trojan virus. Iterations would follow, with perhaps the best-known example of industrial malware, Stuxnet, being introduced about 25 years later. It would be topped by WannaCry ransomware just seven years after that. In all these cases, bad actors were able to probe vulnerabilities, identify weak spots, and exploit these lapses in erasing data, eliminating access, or promising more extensive damage if their monetary demands were not met. These viruses, worms, and malicious coding is still present today, And those armed with this malware have gotten smarter, their attacks more complex, and their search for victims more intense. The industrial sector and municipal utilities, with their combination of lucrative IP, essential production models, and lagging security protocols, have become a favorite target. Joining us today to help navigate this minefield of bad actors is Marty Edwards. He's the vice president of OT Security at Tenable, a leading provider of infrastructure and cloud network software and security solutions. Marty, thanks so much for joining us today. You know, when we look at the industrial sector, as well as a lot of water treatment facilities, um, utilities, things like that, we're just seeing this huge uptick in cyber attacks coming out of the pandemic, presumably, but there still seem to be really popular targets for these bad actors, what's your take on that? What is making these particular locations and businesses such prime targets? Yeah,
1: thank you, Jeff, and it's uh, great to be on today. Um, you know, I think there's multiple factors at play here. I think that in general, the uh, sort of critical infrastructure security space is uh, getting better at detecting these types of, of breaches and, and incidents. So we have an uptick in reporting. Uh, I think that in general, uh, especially with geopolitical events, the media and you know the general public are more interested in hearing about these types of things. And then I think that uh, what's driving it from a criminal activity perspective is that you know, these types of manufacturing environments or uh, critical infrastructure environments are particularly um, profitable, right? or they're Im- important to to companies and to the stakeholders that they serve. And so if they can be held hostage with uh, things like ransomware, you know they they're they're very lucrative targets, right? So the criminal um, sort of element tends to rotate towards where they can, Make the most money and i guess they've uh, made some made some good profit off of it in the last
0: (laughs) little while so they're rotating towards those uh, entities as targets well we can definitely see that colonial pipeline and jbs they're probably the two biggest higher profile ransomware attacks another thing that we're seeing a lot of is malware okay people are getting into the the uh, enterprise and embedding this malware and i think really when we look at the a lot of the different types of attacks this one can maybe even have the broadest reach from your experience marty what can you tell us about Who are some of these people using this type of stuff and what can industrial players do to really try to prevent malware specifically from infecting their organization?
1: Yeah, and I'll uh, I'll use a specific type of malware again. I think in my response, which is you know the, the prevalence of of ransomware, or the the spread of ransomware that we're seeing. Uh, typically, you know, ransomware is not usually a cutting edge kind of cyber uh, weapons technology, right? I mean, they tend to repurpose older vulnerabilities that. Uh, you know, have been patched sometimes for many years in, in their kit, right? So, uh, they're they're going after the low hanging fruit, and and so I think that that what most organizations should try to do is just have a really good cybersecurity fundamentals kind of in place. You know, the ability to detect. I mean, I I, I had a phishing email this morning that that came in, and you know, I forwarded it onto my infosec team, and so you 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 need to keep your people kind of uh i guess in the loop with with good training so that they can be the front lines of your defense you need to take a a good good look at your technology you know make sure that your your systems are well maintained you know i tend to use the term cyber maintenance i think that people need to think about uh these computer networks and environments the same way they think about a rotating machine like a pump uh, you know you buy a million dollar uh piece of equipment in in a factory you tend to to spend some money on maintaining those uh pieces yeah. of equipment but if we spend a million dollars on a computer system you know people don't think about it the right way and i believe cybersecurity is just as important as that grease and and oil that you put into those rotating machines so make sure that you've got that you know all three aspects of cybersecurity which in my mind are people process and technology
0: makes a lot of sense you know when we look at a lot of these situations too i'd i'd kind of be interested to get your take on something that seems very basic but continues to really be a challenge which is password protection it seems like a lot of folks especially in the industrial sector don't put a lot of thought into it or it's just sort of one of those things we've heard a lot about double factor authentication just updating software your password on a timely basis maybe you could offer some perspective there in terms of either best practices or things you shouldn't be doing at least make the the life thing a little bit harder for the uh, attackers here yeah and and for sure uh,
1: identity and managing you know um, the identities of, of all of your users in an environment and and seeing where those uh, weak configurations or access configurations are located is, is an important aspect right so if, if you break it down into individual components you know, not every user uh, has the same types and needs uh, from an access perspective and therefore not every user or not every uh, time they log on do they need you know to to use the same account privileges, right, or same password sort of rules? So somebody that is uh, logging on for you know day to day job that isn't an uh, admin or an administrator in the in the network environment you know, can probably have a a fairly good, strong passphrase, you know, something that you can remember easily, but is also fairly, uh, fairly long. You know, I think that we've shown now that the length perhaps is a little is more important than some of the complexity. So you don't have to make it all like uh, (laughs) characters and numbers and and upside down things, you know, just have a good lengthy passphrase. But then on the other hand, if you have people that are remotely accessing your operations, uh, you know, vendors or um, privileged users like admins and engineers, by all means, you should be enforcing multi-factor authentication, you know, um, the you know, removable sort of key uh, or some other types of multi-factor authentication so that they have to go through more steps. And I think another uh, overlooked area is you should also be logging all those connections, right? So when people come in at 2.30 in the morning to do some remote maintenance, that should be captured. Who logged in? When did they log in? And quite frankly, from an operations perspective, who gave them the authority to log in? I mean, those remote access types of connections uh, don't have to be enabled 24 hours a day. You should only be enabling them uh, when, when you have those needs for those types of services.
0: Absolutely. So Marty, we've talked about some of the bad stuff. Let's talk about some of the good stuff. You're currently working at Tenable. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about the company and, and some of the things you're doing and the people you're working with.
1: Yeah, for sure. So um, I'm the vice president of operational technology. I report into the chief technology officer, which means you know my role isn't necessarily in uh, sales or uh, marketing or something like that. My, my role is more around How are we as a company responding to our customers' needs in this area? And I think what we've talked about uh, up to now really uh, kind of encapsulates all that. You know, we've talked about you know, things like identity and password um, management and, and and that within the critical infrastructures. And so Tenable uh, recently acquired a, a company that does just that, does that kind of identity um, and uh, uh, configuration management around Active Directory implementations. Uh, as well, you know, you probably have uh, seen recently, um, you know, that we are uh, intent to inquire a company that does um, you know the uh sort of internet uh threat intelligence so is my system connected to the internet and do i have some exposure there so all of these i think point to the fact that operational technology security or industrial control system security is is not just about uh detecting you know a known malware signature on your network uh, it's more than just understanding sort of the assets that you have in your network it's really um, understanding all of these different risk areas and then combining them all. So for example, I may have a I may have an industrial computer that's running some uh, older uh, software operating system that has a known vulnerability well, if that um, computer also happens to be logged in with a very highly privileged account, and if it also happens to be visible on the internet, you know, combining all those factors together are what I, I think really uh, increases your risk on that particular area. And so that's where we strive to uh, improve is improve the visibility into these operations, uh, understanding with the language of uh, oper- operating technology uh, engineers so that we can communicate with them where those risks are and help them prioritize how to take them off the table.
0: So Marty, it sounds like a lot of the work you do, you're trying to kind of break down some of those silos that really seem to exist. We tend to think about it primarily in the industrial sector, but really it's, it's prevalent throughout. What's some of your experience there in working with companies to make sure everybody's talking to each other on the operational side, the IT side, and, and beyond? Yeah, it's definitely a topic that comes
1: up often. So, you know, we we talk about this convergence, right? So you have this convergence of IT and OT. And and I get a lot of pushback sometimes from (laughs) from organizations that say, we're not converged, you know, And, and what they mean is that they're Uh, IT and OT networks may not be directly interconnected. They have some air gap or some defense in depth uh, characteristics in place. But what they aren't, I don't think, always taking into consideration is that the people behind all of this are converging, right? So the information security people are being tasked by the chief uh, information security officer to get better insight into what the risks are in these systems and to get a better plan in place for hardening and improving, you know, the security there. So, you know, if I had any guidance, I guess it would be talk to your peers and your colleagues in these other organizations. And, and you know, they're not out there to get you. <laughs> uh, you know, everybody's working for the same uh, cause or principle right so if you're an energy company you know your mission is to deliver energy safely and reliably to your customers you know, if you're a manufacturing plant it's about you know manufacturing uh, whatever uh, gizmos or widgets come off the production line um the it people and the ot people have that same uh mission set in mind they tend to communicate it differently. You know, the OT people are are uh, primed with uptime and uh, numbers like that in their head, and the IT people are primed with you know um, decreasing number of vulnerable systems. You know, they're trying to to Im- improve the company's risk pr- position uh, in those ways. And if you can sit down across the table from each other, or better yet, over a coffee or a beer, you know, have a conversation about what you're trying to accomplish. I think you'll find that the mission sets or the objectives are quite complementary, right? You can actually make them uh, all kind of go
0: in the same direction. Makes sense. You know, Marty, one question I always ask everybody when they come on security breach, when it pertains to ransomware, what's your take here? I mean, you've got a lot of different experience to draw from. Do you pay the ransom if you're confronted with that situation or, or do you try to avoid doing that? You know, it's a tough question, and it's come up
1: uh, multiple times over over the years that I've kind of been in this in in these roles. Uh, personally, I say you you shouldn't. You know, I think that it's sort of a self fulfilling prophecy if you pay if you pay criminals to do their work and they're successful. Um, I think they're you know, first of all, you can't trust a criminal, right? So how do you know they're going to actually carry through with what they say they're going to? And I think you've just painted a brighter target on your back. There's been some very interesting debate, I think, with regards to insurance carriers. And you know some policies have allowed uh, companies to make insurance claims to claim uh, back the ransom that they paid. And I think they're rethinking that a little bit, right? They We should not cover ransom payments as part of an insurance package. So I think that uh, back in the US government uh, days when I was a civil servant, uh, we, of course, also were... Uh, very much opposed to the paying of the ransom. So I I think you've seen uh, any detractors from that position, you know, kind of of whittle away. But ultimately, you know, and I guess I'll I'll play devil's advocate against myself. Ultimately, it's a company, um, individual company decision, right? I mean, if you unfortunately had to be in a situation where you lost all of your um, backups, you didn't have any way to, Um, get back up and online and, you know, the ransom was the only hope you had of getting things back and running. Unfortunately, you may be in a position where you have to pay it. Um, But I would suggest that some exercises and some training and some risk analysis or evaluation ahead of time is a far better investment, um, you know, than, than having to deal with it after the fact. You know, if you can And was the old saying an ounce of prevention is worth a ton of cure well i think it's particularly valid when it comes to ransomware right you can invest a lot in uh uh, prevention and uh, increase your general uh, uh, you know state of security in these systems um, and it'll be far far less costly than what it has to be if you have to go in and clean it up post-incident or
0: post-breach makes a lot of sense Marty, wrapping things up a little bit as we look down the road, twelve to eighteen months, are we going to see some of the same stuff persisting? Are we going to see some new bad things kind of popping up here? What kind of trends do you see taking place in the sort of the global cyber cybersecurity front?
1: You know, I don't want to be a, a Debbie Downer, you know, <laughs> especially on the close here, but it seems like we are kind of uh, repeating ourselves, right? And and maybe it's just because I've been in this business too long almost now, and and 15 plus years dedicated specifically to industrial cybersecurity. Um, I think we're getting better. So I think that, you know, the awareness levels coming up, uh, you know, unfortunate incidents like the Colonial or JBS meets or other large um, ransomware sort of uh, breaches uh, tend to shake up the industry. Um, But I also hope uh, that we aren't Sort of sitting here in five years, and you and I are having a, a conversation, looking back of, hey, well, what did we do? Uh, what should have we done? You know, I think we have to. Uh, I think we have to, as a community or industry in general, kind of plot a course and go. Here's where we want to be in five years, and actually make some uh, significant and uh, stepwise improvements in in how we address these things. I think it's particularly unfortunate that uh, we. Companies and and governments alike tend to invest a lot of money in IT security, you know, their overall cybersecurity posture. But we significantly or tremendously underinvest in the OT or production line environments, and, and we need to shift some of that spending. Doesn't mean we have to increase spend. I just think that we should reevaluate where we're spending those dollars and and put more of them into the. Uh, Um, these operational environments, because quite frankly, without those operational environments, you know, your company um, will cease to exist, right?
0: Thanks, Marty. For more information on the work Tenable does, you can go to www.tenable.com. Thanks for joining us today. To catch up on past episodes, you can go to manufacturing.net, IEN.com, or mbtmag.com. For Marty Edwards, I'm Jeff Ranke, and this is Security Breach. uh